Software as a medical device, also referred to as SAMD, is one of the fastest growing innovations in the medical device industry. As with any technology that experiences rapid adoption, challenges related to IP protection often follow. In this series, we're taking a closer look at IP considerations that SAMD developers should be aware of. Today, we'll explore nuances of IP law that life sciences companies should consider when developing an SAMD. Finnegan attorneys Corey Bell and Eric Rossiti join us now. Eric, what is software as a medical device? Software as a medical device, or SAMD, is a term used by the US FDA and other regulatory agencies for a class of software that is subject to regulatory controls. It helps if you deconstruct the term a little bit. I mean, software, we understand what software is, but this is as a medical device, so we have to have a medical purpose. And that's generally understood as you know, diagnosis, prevention, you know, treatment of injury and disease, uh, and sustaining health, and also some diagnostics that are usually accepted under that definition. The thing to be careful about with the medical definition is some jurisdictions exclude certain devices, but otherwise it should be a fairly co- coherent across all jurisdictions. But for example, aids for the disabled, because most disabilities are seen as permanent, that might not be a medical device. But other than that, the definition holds fairly consistently. Now, device is the term that probably causes the most misapprehension because of the tendency to think of a device as something that is hardware-based. But it's better to just think of this as an implement or a contrivance or a tool. So we have a tool for a medical purpose that's embodied in software. The last point to make here is that software as a medical device is not software in a medical device necessarily. So software in a medical device is the situation that applies when you have a device that relies on the software as a necessary part of achieving its medical function. So for example, you have a motorized infusion pump. The software that controls the speed of the motor is software in a medical device, otherwise it wouldn't work. Software as a medical device, for example, might be a smartphone app that could help an Alzheimer's patient modulate memory issues by using the app. Corey, what should life sciences companies know about the process of going through the patent office when trying to get an SAMD claim approved? So there's a few things that life sciences companies should know. You want to focus not just on your software as a medical device, so the actual you know, algorithm that's making the medical determination, but you also want to make sure that you consider ancillary features of the product. For example, graphical user interfaces are something that can be patented in both the utility context and the design context and can end up actually being a valuable component uh, of your software package. Another thing that life sciences companies need to know is that software is what is called the predictable arts. So what does this mean? This means in prosecution, you're not arguing as much about reasonable expectation of success, but instead you're focusing on motivations to combine features from known software packages or pre-existing software packages or elements that are just wholly not existing in the prior art. Another thing life sciences companies need to consider when prosecuting patents before the USPT on the software space is making sure they have a complete application that they can use to defend themselves against possible 101 rejections from the office. And finally, something that's sometimes counterintuitive to people is that you need to try to avoid disclaiming things as their intended use. Examiners will oftentimes reject things 
saying that the intended use is not limiting to the claims. But what you really need to make sure you have is how you're making the software achieve the desired function, not just having an application claiming the desired function itself. Corey and Eric, what issues have you seen life sciences companies have difficulty with when getting into the software space? So one area where I've seen a couple of life sciences companies have issues is when it comes to actually clearing a product. Some companies are used to kind of getting a full clearance of the space or the product that they're going to be putting into the market, but that's nearly impossible to do in the software or general purpose computer or cell phone area. The key is to really focus on the features of your product that are going to be the revenue drivers or you know, the most valuable features of the product and making sure that those features themselves are clear. So it's kind of equally important to understand the damages profile and what your liability is for the different components versus trying to clear an entire product, including a cell phone and all of that stuff that goes with it. Another issue that I've seen life science companies have difficulty with is who owns the actual data. So when you have a lot of these applications, they're monitoring patients. You know, there might be sensors that is collecting all this information and being used to do some kind of diagnosis. Well, that data can be very valuable, and it's important for companies when they get into agreements with software providers that it's clear or understood who is going to own that data and have the rights to use that data in future applications. So one difficulty that I've seen with life science companies just has to do with the abstraction of software. Uh, It is an unbelievably abstract technology, and it requires some patience to get the arms around what is actually intended by it. So chemical notations are definitely not ambiguous. Uh, A biological entity is itself identifiable and, and not necessarily abstract, although very complicated. With software, you have to be prepared for just dealing with ambiguities and the the inefficiencies that can result to that. But that also will show up in the regulatory process because oftentimes there's not going to be a predicate device when the filings are made. So some account for that has to be made, I think, in advance when engaging the subject matter. But I think the rewards are, are, are worth hanging in there for because SAMDs are devices, and new constituent parts of drug products are Orange Book listable. So as a device primary mode of action in a new combination, this could be a ticket to market exclusivity for known products that just weren't really reasonably administrable because of, say, very complicated dosing regimens that required on-hand software in real time to inform when to administer. So Eric raised a good point, and that made me think of something else that I've seen be an issue in some deals with life sciences companies or getting products off the ground for life sciences companies, and that's the difference in the way some life sciences companies approach a product versus how many software companies approach a product or development of a product, and that is most software companies are using what they call an agile design philosophy which means that there's you know, a lot of flexibility in the process and how you get to the end goal. And they're not used to some of the more layered management structures and more defined milestones that many projects that are being run by life sciences companies often have. So it's important for companies to get together early and understand the development cycle so that the life sciences company isn't constantly feeling like the software company is 
is changing the timeline on them. And finally, Corey and Eric, tell us more about the term same statute, different meaning as it relates to patent eligibility and how it relates to patenting software as a medical device. So by same statute, different meaning, life science companies, they know 101. This has been around for a while, but it's a little bit different in the software space and how you deal with it is a little bit different in the software space, particularly looking at software as a medical device. A lot of what we're going to see here is the debate between patent eligibility of algorithms or machine learning techniques. And the kind of way to think of it is when you're drafting your applications in this space, you need to be setting up your application to have the best possible chance of success when it comes to a one-on-one challenge. And how do you do that? Well, you control the narrative from the start because in software, they're looking for you to have identified some type of improvement to for example, the computer technology itself. So if you can identify a problem that the prior way of doing this diagnosis or the prior way of having a computer do the similar type of diagnosis and how you solved or fixed that problem, that will go a long way when you are dealing with one-on-one challenges down the line. Another thing is to make sure your application is complete. And by complete, I mean not just disclosing the algorithm itself, but also including the components that you can use that when you look at the totality of the system, you have put together something that gets past the 101 hurdle. And the only thing I would add to that excellent and complete answer is have a specific embodiment of a claimed combination that you can map to and point the examiner to during prosecution. And and don't be afraid of, of engaging on that embodiment as an actual tangible implementation of the software. Our guests have been Corey Bell and Eric Rossidi, attorneys at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.